Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Resurrection Day. It is such a beautiful, you know, reality in our faith that Christ is risen from the dead. And that's the only thing that separates us. You know, when they say the world has many religions, Christianity is not one of it. There is a distinct experience that sets Christianity apart. No other religion can make such an audacious claim that is rooted in fact that Christ indeed rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Give me 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. I just want to give us a, a short, a short charge, a short one. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 15. Say, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Say, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the word, according to the scriptures, verse 4. He said, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that it was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to be present, but some are falling asleep. And after that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one, born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle, but because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, that I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Verse 11. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If, but if, Christ, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is what? Is empty. And your faith is also what? Is empty. Verse 15. Say, yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he did what? That he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. 16. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is what? It's futile. You are still in your sins. Verse 18. He said, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have what? Have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most what? Pitiable. Can we read that together? Verse 19 together. One, two, three, go. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Hallelujah. I think King James says we are of all men most miserable. So even the scriptures allude to the fact that dead religion is a miserable journey. 
is a miserable experience. Just practicing dead religion without the reality of the presence and the person of God is what? Is the most mis you should pity people who practice religion, dead religion. They are of all men most what? Miserable. And that's why most people who are religious don't have joy. They are constantly vexed and constantly angry. Hallelujah. And that's why some of them can kill in the name of their God or in the name of their religion or something like that. Because at the core of it is a mystery and death and decadence that is covered by a veneer, a very thin layer of discipline. Hallelujah. But deep inside, it's just death. You know, when, when you pass by, when you pass by um, the burial ground, you see beautiful, um, you know, what's, what's, what's this thing that they put on the top? Slabs. So, yeah, sepulchers, you see beautiful slabs, marble slab, you see flowers and all that. But when you open it, what is inside? It's dead men bones. The inside is not pretty at all. That's the way dead religion is. There is a covering on the outside. You will see a sense of discipline. You will see a sense of focus. You will see a sense of devotion. But their heart is terrible. He's not changed. He's not touched. Hallelujah. And there is a branch of Christianity that is like that. Perhaps these people move close to me. Say they draw near to me with their mouth, but their heart is what? Is far from that's dead religion. That's dead religion. Hallelujah. And it's interesting. When I read this verse, when I was studying, read this verse, it was interesting that as early as Paul's time, there was a camp that began to dispute the resurrection. And that dispute did not come directly. How the enemy, you know entered us you know smuggled in that dispute is for them to say that there is no resurrection they began to doubt the resurrection of the dead hallelujah where the devil is going is number three but where he started from is where is number one he began to make them doubt that there is anything such as resurrection of the dead they began to doubt it and that was the reason why Paul wrote this. Say, how is it that some of you suddenly are beginning to have doubts? Your faith is beginning to shake that there is no, nothing as resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is what? Christ is not risen. That's exactly where the enemy wants to get to. You know, Paul was just proactive by the Spirit of the Lord. <laughs> Amen. That was where it was. If, if that... If that if that lie had been established that there is no resurrection of the dead, eventually it would have manifest to say, ah, so if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. On what basis? Because Christ did not rise only for himself. Am I making sense? Christ did not rise only for what? For himself. Christ rose from the dead for you and I. For our salvation. Bible says he was raised for our what? Justification. So if he did not rise from the dead, 
that process of salvation would not have been completed. And that's why Paul said, he said, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then your faith is vain. We are just here doing, you know, all this thing we are doing, this is just theater. <laughs> Amen. It is just uh, Nollywood, you know, and Nollywood show. That's everything we're doing. All the prayers, all the tongues, whatever. It's just, just fake. Scripture says that if Christ is not risen from the dead, our faith is what? It's vain. So the anchor, the very root, the very foundation upon which our faith stands is the what? Is the resurrection from the dead. And Jesus proclaimed that vision, that vision of God, when the Greeks came to visit him. And I'll just talk through it. I won't read, won't read that verse. You know, when Philip said, Rabbi, the Greeks have come to see you. And scripture said, Jesus lifted up his voice and said, except a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it does what? It abides alone. But if it dies, it springs forth and brings forth what? Many. So the, the, what has always been in the heart of God is to bring many sons to glory. Is to do what? Is to bring many sons to glory. The resurrection story doesn't stop with what Jesus did. And the fact that we remember the story, we remember the reality of it, and we are worshiping God, and we are thanking God, and we are excited, and we acknowledge that is the reason for our faith. That is part one. Part two of the resurrection story is that you and I must walk in that resurrection power. That's the part two. You and I must do what? Must walk in that word, resurrection power. That is what will actually bring the cycle to completion. That's actually what will bring it to fullness. Your manifesting resurrection power, I manifesting resurrection power, is what will complete the cycle. That was that in bringing many sons to glory to make this captive of their salvation perfect through what? Through sufferings. The whole essence of that, Isaiah 53, was wounded for our transgressions, was bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, by his sons we are healed. The Bible says he has laid the sin of us all upon him. All that process of pain and suffering was because, so that he can secure a contract of eternal life in God for you and I. So that he can prepare an inheritance for you and I. When he was speaking in John 14 and say, I go to prepare a place for you. So that where I am, you can what? You can be with me. That is, that is the scripture that some sections of the church have misinterpreted to mean that God has gone, God has, you know, Jesus has gone to build mansions in heaven. There, there are no mansions in heaven. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Scripture says God doesn't dwell in, in physical buildings or things made by hands. Hallelujah. The mansion is talking about is himself, his dimension, his glory, his treasure, his power, his grace. Hallelujah. The reality of his sonship, that's the dimension that, that that's what he's going to make. And say in my father's house, there are what? There are many dwelling places. That's the more accurate word. John 14, there are many what? Dwelling places. He said, if it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. So the whole essence of that journey that Jesus embarked on to the cross and to the grave, and then out of the grave, was for you and I. So as we rejoice this morning, 
as we commemorate the resurrection of Christ, we should ask ourselves the question, how are we completing the cycle? How are we completing the cycle? Because Christ has done his own bit, has the first fruits, and then we must do our own bit as the word, as his people, as his chosen. Hallelujah. I said, I said, the resurrection of Christ is a pattern and a prototype for us to experience. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 7. Give me very quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 7. What does it say? It said, But God, who is rich in mercy, and what? For his great love, wherewith he did what? He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, at what? Quickened us together by Christ. By grace, ye are what? Saved. And has raised us up together and made us to what? Sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It was all about you and I. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. Through who? To Christ Jesus. All that Jesus went through was God demonstrating his love for us. And bringing us into glory. He wants us to shed the carnal, sinful, mortal life. And pick up the eternal, divine life. And manifest it fully. So this morning God is calling us to manifest resurrection power. Somebody say manifesting resurrection power. Say that again. Say manifesting resurrection power. That is what will bring joy to the heart of God. All our commemoration will not make sense if we are not walking the reality of what Christ has done. It does not make sense. Imagine instead of children, God has, you know, their father has left massive wealth and massive inheritance and massive stuff, you know, stuff for them. For them to take in the massive investments in maybe in banking sector, in agriculture sector, many, many companies. And then they've appointed them, you take charge of this, you take charge of this. This thing has the potential to double in five years. Maybe you can move from $1 billion to $3 billion in five years. And that's all the father has done that. And every year, the children will gather and they will commemorate and celebrate and dance and say, thank you, father, for everything you've done. Thank you, thank you. And then afterward, every one of them go back to their rented apartments with no job, no work, nothing. And then they are begging people for one era and two era while all that estate and all that investment is just their line follow. Will the father be happy wherever he is? That's what some Christians do. We celebrate the festivals, but we don't live the life. We commemorate you know, the celebrations, but that's where it ends. No life, no manifestation, no growth, no present. That is not the will of God for his people. God wants us to come into the reality of the stories. Hallelujah. And there is something very important about the fact that Christ is the prototype. Someone said the prototype. The concept of prototype means that if you want to, let's say for example, you want to produce something. Let's say, what's Olabi's best car? What's your best car? 
the one you are dreaming to buy. Lexus, Lexus RX, GX, ES, IS, GX. Sorry? ES 315. Okay, okay. I know a little about cars, don't mind. Sometimes I just want to be happy. I just window shop cars on different sites. So, amen. So imagine that, you know, they want to produce the ES 350. What they would do is first of all to produce a single, a single one based on the drawing. And then they would test that one. Test everything. Test the brake. Test the, you know, produce a, maybe not one, maybe a small portion, the prototype. They look at it, they test it. And when they, re, when they have found the perfect car, that prototype is perfect. They've tested everything, the shape, the sound, the brakes, the engine, everything. That model is what they will now transfer to now mass produce all the several thousand other cars. So if you go to a gig, you know, they call these factories Giga Factories because they are huge. I was watching the video of a Tesla Giga Factory in Berlin. It's a mighty, mighty factory. Huge. They produce thousands of cars in that place. You know, and what do they do? They just input the whole thing is computerized based on the what the prototype. And then the robots just piece all the things together, you know, piece everything together, piece everything together under the supervision of you know, and then the men will just come, finally just come and dust it and make it. The the the, the input of the human beings in the press is very, very minimal. Robots. Why? Because they had a prototype that they have what? They have passed, they have certified, and they are using the specifications of that prototype to mass produce. God wants to mass produce many Jesuses. So all that Jesus came to do, the reason why he came in the flesh, why he had to be born of a woman, why he had to leave his glory, he did not come as the, as the mighty God. He came as the what? As the man. Scripture says that he humbled himself, Philippians 2, and became a servant and walked in obedience even unto the what? The death on the cross. He did all that. It was so that the specification, the specification can be met, the specification that you can use. Am I making sense? If he had come with great power and might, you will not be able to use his specification because he would have had an advantage that you don't have. Am I making sense? Do you get what I'm trying to say? He had to come as a man. That's why he had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how he had to walk and study the scriptures and walk by the scriptures. That's why at age 12, he had had so much depth, so much knowledge of the word of God that even these Pharisees and the you know, so they were amazed at the level of knowledge that he had. They were amazed. And when he began to teach, when his ministry started, Bible said that this guy is, they said that this guy is different. He said he taught as one that has authority. He had to be led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He had to be so tempted. <laughs> Am I making sense? And when he overcame all those temptations, he received even greater measure of the Holy Ghost. Scripture says he returned in the power of the word of the Spirit. Hallelujah. He did all that 
so that he can produce the specification the exact divine suit that you can fit into to live the divine life so the ball is in our court right now to manifest that same grace that same power that same anointing that Jesus manifested hallelujah am I making sense this morning our identity and our redemption is a function of Christ's resurrection. That's why the Bible said that for you to even be saved, you have to believe that Christ is Lord. Romans, what does Romans 10 say? He said, if you believe in your heart, right? Believe with your, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall what? Shall be saved. Can you give me that verse please? Romans 10, 9 and 10. Quickly. So that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt do what? Believe in where your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So believing and embracing the reality of the resurrection is the very foundation of our faith. Hallelujah. First Peter 1 verse 3, very quickly. First Peter 1 verse 3, what does it say? First Peter 1 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has what? Begotten us again unto what? Sir? I can't hear you. By what? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has begotten us to a lively hope by the what? By the resurrection of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's read that's in first peter verse 17 to 21 very quickly first peter 1 go to verse 17 say if you call on the father who without respect of persons judged according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear verse 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your what vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers but what were you redeemed by verse 18 verse 19 but with the precious blood of what of christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot verse 20 we're going to verse 21 who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in this last times for you verse 21 who by him do believe in god that did what that raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that what that your faith and what and hope might what might be God. so the resurrection reality is meant to be a very strong builder of hope in you and i great hope in you and i by the reason of christ's resurrection our faith must be strong on that basis. And the more we walk in the reality of it, the more we walk in the reality of it, the more our faith and our experience is strengthened. Hallelujah. So I said, while our faith in Christ
Christ's resurrection forms the basis of our faith, we must also have faith to walk in the reality and the power of his resurrection. So that is part two. So that is part two. So we, it's not enough to just accept that Christ rose from the dead. It's not enough to just to commemorate it. It's not enough to acknowledge it and on a day like this we're celebrating it. The real work, the real gist is that you and I are what? Are walking in that reality. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 to 12. Very quickly, Romans chapter 6 verse 4 to 12. What does it say? Yet therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was what? Raised from the dead by the what? The glory of the Father. Even so, we should what? Walk in the newness of life. As Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of his, the Father, we must also what? We should. He used the word we should. Am I right? So even so, we also should what? Walk in the newness of life. Now, how do we walk in the newness of life? He compared it to how Christ was raised from the dead. How was Christ raised from the dead? How was Christ raised from the dead? He's there. By the what? By the what? By the glory of the Father. We must experience that same glory. It is that glory that brings transformation. It is that glory that brings change. That glory must manifest in your life and in my life. That is what bets the newness of life. And that is the whole Christian story. It is that experience of change. It is that experience of transformation. By the glory of the Father. We must all encounter that glory. Hallelujah. And do you know why that is crucial? Let's, let's take a little step backwards and look at how Christ was indeed raised from the dead. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross carrying the sin of the whole world. Am I making sense? Is that a fact? Come on. Is that a fact? That he went to the cross with the sin of the whole world. Bible said God has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. Isaiah 53. So, even though Jesus was an innocent man, he died a wretched sinner. There was no worse sinner on that cross than Jesus. Did you hear what I said? There was no worse sinner on that cross. There was no one who was more of the enemy of God than Jesus while he was on that cross. Not by what he had done, but by the fact that he went to the cross as a scapegoat. How many of us remember, those of us who studied the scriptures, when the children of Israel want to sacrifice unto the Lord, make a burnt offering for sin, they will bring a goat, and the high priest will lay hands on the goat and confess the sin of the whole congregation upon that goat. By doing, and in so doing, he's doing what? He's transferring the sin, the weight of that sin upon that goal so that the punishment for sin can be meted out on that goal and so that the people of God can live in freedom. 
So Christ was the scapegoat. Hallelujah. So Christ died a wretched sinner, an enemy of God. Why? Because the iniquity of Oswald was what? Was laid on him. But guess what? As terrible as that was, it wasn't a difficult thing for the glory of God to raise him out on the third day. People of God, people of God, there is no situation in your life. There is no issue in your life. There is no struggle. There is no infirmity. There is no weakness in your life that the power of God cannot transform and change. If Christ is raised from the dead, you should walk in the what? The newness of life. It doesn't matter what your story is. That's why scripture says that if any man is in Christ, is a what? It, it has nothing to do with what you have done. It has everything to do with what Christ accomplished. The slate is wiped clean. The old you is dead. He said, all things have what? The, 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 new, the new creation story, the new creation man was not refurbished. Did you get what I'm saying? The new creation man was not what? He was not, it's not refurbished, it's not renewed. You know when you want to refurbish something, you still have the pieces of the old. The new creation man was newly created. The old man was killed. And the new one came alive. So you are new in Christ. You are new in Christ. And the agent of transformation, the power that catalyzes that change in you is the what? It's the glory of God. It's the glory of God. So as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we should what? We should walk in the newness of life. Give me the next verse. for if we have been united together that's verse 5 Romans 6 verse 5 if we have been united together in the likeness of his death certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this that what our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be what done away with that we should no longer be what say the body of sin has been done away with. Now let me explain very briefly what the body of sin is. The body of sin is the nature of mortality. It's the nature of sin and is the frame that makes you a mortal man. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Everything that makes you what? A mortal, the man of the earth. The man under the curse. The man toiling and laboring under the sun that has no connection to the divine grace, to the divine life and divine power of God. That frame, it is that frame that produces a thinking pattern and the perspective that is rooted in carnality and in sin and death. Is that that's the body of sin. It's not just talking about your physical body. It's talking about an image, a frame, a stature of sin. That stature was groomed 
from the day you were born. Remember what Romans chapter 7 says. He said, when sin, he said, I was, how did he put it? There was a way he put it. He said that I was innocent before God. He said, but when sin did what? Revived. I died. Hallelujah. You were, everyone was born innocent, even though you have the nature of sin there. But by simple, natural growth process, that image of sin also begins to grow. It begins to grow. The knowledge, inherent in the knowledge, inherent in the interactions of this world, is that image. Is that thing. Is that propensity to do evil. You see a little child breastfeeding. She, that child will bite the mother and then look to the face of the mother and then smile. He, the child knows that something is is that thing, is that image of sin that is testing itself. It's doing testy, testy. Hello, are we here? It's that image. It's that image. It's that image. And then before you know, that little child begins to have the tendency of dishonesty, of lying, of stealing, some of them, of stealing. People like me, I used to steal it. <laughs> To steal it all. Do you know what I used to steal when I was born? Bon Vita. <laughs> I'll steal Bon Vita. I'll go and open Bon Vita, put it in my hand, and then go and hide behind the chair. I don't know what, why, why I thought that nobody would even know. <laughs> and I remember one of those days I was hiding under the chair and I was licking the Bon Vita. And my dad just pulled me by. You know when your dad pulled you and the whole of your, my mouth was full of bombita and my in that all you call caught red handed <laughs> I was a little I, but I remember I probably four or five but I remember it so vividly my elder brother is plantain chips that was his kryptonite plantain chips the guy cannot be normal when there's plantain chips <laughs> my mom used to must produce plantain chips then and sell he used to supply lots and lots of you know, she was a major distributor so, you know, if you enter our sitting room, there's this huge table where you have large basins of plantain. The thing look like plantain chips heaven. So the guy with ethanol, his head will just be torn. <laughs> you know, so I'm testing the image of sin. Depending on the environment where that child is growing up, that image will either have, you know, if a favorable and a conducive environment to increase and multiply or to be checkmated. So if that child is growing up under believers, serious believers, kingdom-focused believers, that image will be checkmated early on. Why? Through the introduction of the doctrine of righteousness. Through the introduction of the scriptures. There will be an interface, there will be an intervention of God. And that's why scripture says you train your child in the way it should go, so that when he's grown, he will not do what? It is so as to checkmate that image. As you get exposed to school, you know, get exposed to the environment, get exposed to media, get exposed to TV, that thing is what is going. The, the enemies, let me call it, the enemies outside will connect with the enemy inside. <laughs> you know, Yorubas, Yorubas have a wisdom. So if, oh, if, the, if the world doesn't open, lizard cannot what? And how many of us know the meaning of that? Added? What basically it means is that if you don't have an inherent issue in your heart, some issues will never 
Nobody can set a trap for you. It's like if they set a trap for somebody, you know, they set a, a woman trap for somebody. If he doesn't have lost issues, he will not fall into that trap. So he said that there's an enemy, there has to be an enemy inside for the enemy outside to have, to gain entrance. And that's exactly what happens with the image of sin. That inherent sinful nature that we're born with, that image of the earth, that image of Adam, begins to find interaction and connection through learning. And it's that image that God wants us to put off. Hallelujah. So if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the burden of sin might be what? Done away with. That we should what? No longer be what? Be slaves of sin. Verse 7, for he who has died as what? Has been freed from sin. Now look at verse 8. He said, now if we died with Christ, somebody said we believe, somebody said we believe that we shall also what? Live with him. Knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, does what? Dies no more. Death no longer has what? Dominion over it. So the first thing that guarantees your dominion mandate is the resurrection of Christ. The first thing that does what? That guarantees your dominion mandate is something that Christ has already said to so there is no doubt about that. Christ is risen from the dead. And because he is risen from the dead, he has conquered death once and for all. He said death has no power over him. Christ, having been raised from the dead, cannot die again. He can't go back to that grief. That battle is won once and for all. The victory has been secured for you once and for all. What do you have to do? Walk in it. Somebody say, walk in it. Somebody say, walk in it. So how do we receive and manifest the resurrection life? Somebody say, by faith. That's how we do. That's how we do. The power of Christ, the resurrection power of Christ is available to us. Ephesians 1, 7. That was what Paul was praying to the Ephesians church. He prayed for three things. He said, the eyes of the understanding may be enlightened, that they may know what is the word. The hope of God's calling. Verse 17, very quickly. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Second thing he was praying for. For the riches of the glory of his what? Inheritance. In the what? In the saints. You know, I talked about the fact that it talk, I, I shared the analogy of a man who has left inheritance for his children. And he expects them to do what? To walk in. He was praying that we will know the riches of the glory of this inheritance. Because a lot of us don't know it yet. Or the few who do, we know it in a small measure. Because it is impacted by revelation. It's impacted by what? By revelation. By the opening of our eyes. That's how we come to know, the, have the knowledge of the glory of his inheritance. But it is something that is prepared. The third thing he said is that, that we may know verse 19. The exceeding greatness of what? His power towards us. Who do what? Who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Which he did what? Which he worked in Christ. When he did what? 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. There's so, so much to unpack here, but let me just try and summarize it in few words. What he's basically saying is that the power that God worked in Christ by Jesus' resurrection and his ascension and by him being seated in glory is the same power that God has made available to you and I. The same power. But there is a difference. Say there is a gap. Do you know the gap? Is that Jesus knew of that power. And pressed into it. We have to know of that power. And press into it. So the limitation of manifestation. Is the knowledge gap. That exists. And that's why we must pray, sir, that you may know what's the exceeding greatness of his power towards you. There is an exceeding power towards you. There is a power of God allocated for you. It's that same power that raised Christ from the dead. That same grace, that same glory that raised Christ from the dead, it's in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Am I making sense this morning? We need to daily press into that power for transformation. Otherwise, our Christian life is vain. You have to press to touch that power. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? We must press to do what? The essence of our devotion, the essence of our prayer, the essence of coming to church, of listening to the word of God, the essence of all the things we are doing, the spiritual disciplines we are engaging, is to touch that power. Because that power is what brings transformation. When you are fasting and praying, what are you looking for is to touch that power. It is not the, you know, the, the scriptural spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation doesn't come merely by discipline or by training. This discipline system is just an avenue to consecrate yourself and touch that power. Am I making sense? Remember that, let me give another, remember that woman with the issue of blood who wanted to do what? Touch Jesus. What did he have in her heart? Faith. He said, if I may but what? Touch the hem of his garment, I will be what? I will save. And then, what discipline did, did she have to go through? He had to press through the crowd. It's not easy for somebody who is sick, having an issue of blood. She probably will be weaker than the rest of the people. Am I making sense? Bible says she's had that issue for 12 years. But because of the faith in her heart and the expectation that she is pressing towards, she did what? She pressed. So all that discipline, all that effort is to touch the hem of his garment so that what? Power can flow. And Jesus said, he said, I felt virtue do what? Leave my body. Peter said, oh God, you have come again. Can't you see the crowd all around? Everybody is touching you. Everybody was indeed touching Jesus. But only one woman touched her by faith. He said, we are all trunking you. You know, have you been in a crowd before? He said, we are all trunking. How can you say somebody touched you? See, everybody has touched you. You are even lucky they have not torn your clothes. But she said, but I know somebody touched because virtue did what? Somebody placed a demand on that power. 
And Jesus knew. And the woman said, yes, I'm the one. And the Bible said that Jesus said, your faith has what? It's made you one. So all that effort we put into our prayer, our fasting, is not because those things in themselves will produce the discipline and the change we want, but it's so that we can press and do what? And touch that power. Because that power is the very agent of what? Of transformation. Hallelujah. So God is challenging you and I this morning to press through the crowd and do what? And touch. To press through the crowd and what? And touch. You know, there are, we, all of us are living in a crowded, we are living a crowded life. Every single one of us. What kinds of things are crowding our lives? Choking the environment. Choking the space. Some of us, you know, between your work and motherhood, you know, and running the family, there is a crowd. Everybody's competing for your time. And you're struggling. You are like that woman with the issue of blood. You can see the goal ahead of you, but there's no power to press. Because a lot of, there's a crowd. There's a crowd. There's a cloud and there are issues. Some people, is, is laziness is the issue. They want to pray, but they're just lazy. They're just laid back. Some people, is lack of knowledge of what to do is the issue. Is the issue of blood. Am I making sense this morning? But you have to determine and do what? And press through the crowd. There is no excuse. If that woman had looked at the crowd and said, Ah, today is not the day. I will, I will try and corner Jesus when there is less crowd. She would never have been healed. Same thing with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus looked at everybody around and said, I'm the shortest man in Israel. <laughs> there is no chance for people like us. I will go home. I will be worshipping from afar. So he would never have entered salvation. But every one of those people did what? Depressed. Depressed beyond the issue, beyond the limitations, beyond the things that held them back, beyond the weakness they pressed. They knew that if they could just touch that power, that change would come. That change would come. Every one of us must experience that change. Hallelujah. Very quickly, give me Hebrews chapter 11. Let's see the life of a few people who pressed and touched that power. Hebrews 11. Give me Hebrews 11, 11. Very quickly. I don't know whether we should quickly read Romans 10 first. So just write down Romans 10, Romans 8, 10 to 12. We'll not read it because of time. Romans 8, 10 to 11 says, If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Is everything I've explained before. The spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, we do what? Give life to your mortal bodies by spirit. Are we in Hebrews 11? Say by, somebody say by faith. Somebody say by faith. Sarah herself also what? Received strength to what? To conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was what? Past the age. Because she did what, sir? Oh, well, I'm not hearing you. Because she did what? She judged him faithful. Who? Who had promised that was the beginning of our strength conviction in who that has promised conviction in God who has promised that was what that was the missing link in our story all along 
Remember, if you read the account in Genesis, scripture says when the angels came and told Abraham that by this time, according to the time of life, by this time next year, Sarah will have a child. What did Sarah did? Sarah said he was behind the door and, his, and she laughed and said, me, <laughs> look at me now. Everything is dead from top to bottom. Me, have a child. You see, but because the word has been released somewhere between that time, and the time of the manifestation, something happened to her. It was, it's what word? Conviction. Knowledge came. There was a shift in her spirit. It did not matter where she started from. The moment she accepted and cooperated with God, power flew, flowed into her life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter where the starting point is. The moment she accepted, she did what? She judged him faithful who had promised. And then strength came to conceive that seed. Give me verse 12. He said, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the what? As the stars of the sky in multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the what? The seashore. That's what faith can do. That's what faith can do. This morning we must look in what the promised land is. What's our own promised land? It's the glory of God. It's a Christ in you. The what? The hope of what? Of glory. The Holy Ghost being in us is the foretaste. The Bible said the Holy Ghost was given as a guarantee. The Holy Ghost is just the advanced payment. We are meant to press into the promise, the fullness. The Holy Ghost is given as what? You know, if you want to buy something and... These days, you have, you have options to spread the payments, right? If, especially in developed countries. If you want to buy a car, you don't have to pay everything all at once. You do what? You spread the payments. Or if you want to buy a house. But you have to do what? You have to, first of all, give a what? A down payment. That's what the Holy Ghost is. It's the down payment. That was a down payment for our purchased what? Redemption. So the Holy Ghost is the starting point. It's not the end. People receive the Holy Ghost and then they sit down there and then there's nothing. What is the Holy Ghost doing in your life? What's the manifestation of the Spirit? Some people receive the Holy Spirit and their whole, they turn the whole world upside down. Manifesting the gift of the Spirit. Manifesting the grace of God. Manifesting the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the down payment. There has to be an increase. There has to be a growth. There has to be a manifestation. There has to be expansion. Hallelujah. Am I making sense this morning? Am I making sense? The Holy Ghost is given to us as a down payment. We're supposed to take advantage of him and grow. That's why scripture calls him the helper. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. By faith, Sarah received what? Strength to do what? To conceive seed. Give me, go to verse 17. This same verse, verse 17. Very quickly. Say, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he 
who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Verse 18. Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Verse 19. Concluding. Somebody say concluding. This, if you ask Abraham, why did you do it? This is the answer. Concluding that God was able to raise him up. Even from the what? From the dead. From which he also received him in a what? In a figurative sense. Every time I think about this verse, it literally blows my mind. Let me tell you what happened there. Abraham received, Abraham experienced resurrection power twice in his lifetime. In a time and in a season where such light and such revelation was literally non-existent. Did you get what I'm saying? There is no, there is no precedent. There was no precedent that could inform. I mean, we are reading the scriptures now and they have become the source of our faith. The only precedence Abraham had was the word of God delivered to him. There was no pastor to encourage him. But yet, his conviction was so strong, so strong, that he experienced resurrection power twice. Remember when that scripture said that Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him for what? For righteousness. This man has to have something in his heart. Something, and I was saying on, on, on West, was it during the workshop? I was saying that the, 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 the conversations in the heart of Abraham when God told him to go and offer up Isaac, it's not a normal conversation. It's not a normal, some of us, we can't try it. The little request that God has even placed on us, we are still battling and struggling with it, some of us. Say, Jesus, don't bring that one. Holy Spirit, please, please, let's, let's respect ourselves. Don't, don't bring that one. I cannot. How can you tell me to keep quiet? Somebody is doing this to me. You are telling me to keep quiet. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not going to. I will say, Lord, I'm sorry after this thing. But I have to give it. I have to show this person. This man has waited for 99 years to have this child. Hallelujah. 99 years. He practically had the child from a, literally a woman whose body was dead. Her womb was dead. She, he had to believe God for himself and even for, for, for Sarah. Am I making sense? And then afterwards, God now said, you know, go and, go and offer this the, the boy to me as sacrifice. <laughs> if, if Abraham was Yoruba, man, I'd say, <laughs> you, you make me laugh, Sha. You know when your reverse want to abuse you, you just want to laugh. It's not your fault. It's me. I'm the one at fault. I'm the one who is foolish enough to be in this situation so that you, this can happen. <laughs> Kuku kill me now. <laughs> is, that, is that your intention? Kuku kill me. <laughs> All these years. Kuku finish the job. Don't, don't need to go like this. I'm the one you want to talk to. Come and talk to me. <laughs> Hallelujah. But Abraham had, Abraham's heart has been configured in a separate manner because of his faith and conviction in God. He did not go on that pathway of canal, you know, 
perspective and rumination. His heart was pressing in another direction completely. It was the direction of faith. It was the direction of conviction in the spirit. He was touching somebody. Okay, if I do this, what is going to happen? What are the, what am I, I want to obey God. If I follow this path, what is going to happen? And Bible says, in that journey of faith, he came to this point that, ah, after all, I got this boy by resurrection power. I am able to get him again by resurrection power. I'm going to, God will raise him from the dead. It's very difficult to have faith, that kind of faith, for resurrection. But Abraham had it twice. That's why the Bible called him the father of what? Faith. He manifested and experienced resurrection power two times. The Bible said that he concluded that God was able to do what? To raise him up even from the dead. From which he also did what? So the first time he received Isaac, he even received it by resurrection power. And he concluded that if God who can do it then, God will do what? We do it again. And that formed the basis of his faith and his obedience towards God. That is how church, we are going to manifest resurrection power. By stepping out in faith. By conviction in our hearts. God is calling us to live a life that is different. A life that is propelled, that is fired up and energized by faith. Not by carnal reasoning, but by what? By faith, by spiritual understanding. That is how to truly enact and commemorate and celebrate Christ's resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if you read that whole scripture of Hebrews 11, you will see what people did, what they accomplished by the reason of what? Of faith. By the reason of their faith. Every one of them had the moment of the woman with the issue of blood. They had that moment, but they pressed and did what? And touched that glory of God. That was some women received their dead back to life. That was by faith, some of them subdued kingdom. Those things would never have happened by ordinary strength or by logic or by carnal understanding. It has to take the power of God working through what? Through faith. And that's the church God wants us to be. A church that lives by what? By faith. A people that live by what? By faith. So we must trust God today that there will be a change of mindset. That we will live for the revelation of the power of God. That our arrangements, our cares will not be around the carnal life. Will not be just to live a carnal life. Just to live, you know, a, a, a life that is just focused on hair, but that we will be drawing strength and drawing grace and drawing power from the throne of God. Because that is how to live the true what? Christian life. This morning as we come before the Lord's table, I want faith to arise in your heart to touch that power of God. To touch that power of God. Let the gates of heaven be opened. Let there be an entrance. We're trusting God for entrance. We're trusting God for entrance. We want to have a change of state, a change of mindset. 
want to move from Sarah that is smiling and doubting the power of God to Sarah that had faith to receive the power of God to conceive seed. We want to move from the Gideon that was hiding, threshing, you know, threshing, um, threshing wheat on the threshing floor, hiding from the Midianite to the Gideon that was strengthened in faith to lead an army of only 300 against an army of over 100,000 Midianites. We want to be that people. We want to be Peter. To move from Peter who denied Christ three times because he was afraid for his life. Move to the Peter who became so bold, so powerful, so audacious that he could stand before everyone and anyone and say, judge you for yourself who we should obey. Whether it is profitable to obey God or to fear man. And that same Peter was so full of conviction that he was ready to be crucified and indeed was crucified. And before he died, he said, for I am ready to give up this tabernacle. He said, for the Lord has shown to me. That was a man who had journeyed so much in God. He even knew when the time was up. We want to receive power for transformation. We want to receive power for transformation. We want to receive power by which we will not even fear death. If early church one thing they conquered was what? The fear of death. Nothing scared them. Whether they were fed to the lions or killed or ran over by a troop, nothing scared them. It wasn't ordinary. It was resurrection power to walk in them. So this morning we're trusting God for that transformation. We're saying, Father, as you partake of your body, as you partake of your blood, we do not come to your table lightly. We do not come carnally. We do not come with ignorance. We come with great expectation. With great expectation. That as you partake of your body and your blood, divine life will break forth on the inside of us. Let's go ahead and begin to pray this morning. Ed of Renault, Silla Labacarda, Robo Sepriceta, Lolo Bosata, Banana Bashata.